Hey, this is Rich, and we're so glad you joined us today on the VU Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us for VU Summer Vibes. We're spending the summer at VU with some of our VU friends and family. Today, we have my friend, Lisa Harper, a legendary Bible teacher bringing the word. Let's lean in as she brings the message today. Sit down, sit down. I need to, I need to go ahead and confess something to y'all before we dive in. I'm pretty sure that when Precious Dawn Cherie, who I've gotten to be with on multiple occasions, and I adore her. Um, but I've never had the privilege of meeting your pastor, Rich. And so I am convinced that when Dawn Cherie told Rich to text Lisa to come preach while they were gone, she meant Lisa Bevere. So the fact that I get to be here, I feel like I'm just flying under the radar. I'm so excited. If you've met Lisa Bevere, she can preach the cover off the Bible, but she almost always does so in leather pants. And if I had worn leather pants up in this house this morning, it would have sounded like ducks are being killed. So I'm just, I'm fired up to be here. I, um, I've heard about VU for years. So to get to be here, we were so excited last night. I've got a couple of qualifications. Um, I'm a spitter, y'all. And so this is gonna be like baptismal row. So you're just gonna have to forgive me. And um, your reputation precedes you. I know that y'all are a reflection of your pastors, so I expect to just be enveloped. They told me that nine o'clock is the holiest service. So I want y'all to lay hands on me and pray before it's over. But I knew it was gonna be great. Um, John Shree has just told me what, what God is doing in this part of the country, really all over the world through VU, but specifically when y'all are gathered shoulder to shoulder, I know that God has plowed up some just amazing fields here in South Florida because of y'all. That is not always the case for me. Sometimes I travel to churches around the country filled with hateful Christians. Um, now, I'm not gonna tell you where those places are in case you have cousins there, but I was, um, I was in one recently. I was at a women's conference and these women had gotten rigidity confused with righteousness and it was just a super, super stiff group. And so the conference was a Friday, Saturday, ended on Sunday afternoon. And I thought, you know, this has been such a long weekend with these hateful Christians I need a break. Um, I know y'all don't know anything like that at VU, but there's some places where people who know God just haven't gotten free yet. And so I was with those people and I thought, I, I need a break after being with all the rigid Christians. And somebody had told me there was a spa near where this conference center was, rhymes with Schmalbuquerque. And they said, there's a spa near there and it's just extraordinary. They said, Lisa, it's one of the top three spas in the US. And I thought, well, that'll be cool because I'm single, I'm 57. Gosh, I'm, am I 57? I'm 57, I'll be 58 um, in a few weeks, but I don't get rubbed on very often being single and all. And so I thought I'll go to the spa, I'll get a massage, I promise we'll get biblical in just a minute. And um, so um, I, I also had heard they had this amazing outdoor hot spring. And so as I'm driving to the spa, I thought, oh shoot, I didn't bring a bathing suit, um, but surely they'll just let me look at the hot spring. A friend of mine said, it's one of the wonders of the world. It's just gorgeous. She said, if you get in this hot spring, the water comes up out of the earth. There's actually no plumbing. It comes straight up out of the earth. It's thermodynamically heated. She said, Lisa, you'll look at the mountains. 
They're called the Sangrita Cristo Mountains in this part of New Mexico, the Blood of Christ Mountains. She said, the sun goes behind that mountain range at about three o'clock. So she said, from like three until the sun actually goes down, she said, there's this rosy hue that just covers everything. She said, it's spectacular. So again, after being with the not kind people, I thought, I'm gonna go to this place and just sit in God's creation. So I go to the girl in the foyer of the Shishi Spa and I explain to her that I want to see the hot springs, but I haven't bought a bathing, bought, brought a bathing suit. And she said, oh, no worries. We encourage nudity here <laughs> at the Shishi Spa. And because I am a little more modest than most of the women I saw at Miami Beach South last night, I said that... Um, <laughs> that actually is not gonna work for me. And she said, oh, not to worry. And she reached down below this fancy counter and pulled out a bin. Now, most of y'all have shoes older than y'all, so y'all might not remember this, but any of you over 50, remember we had wire bins in junior high PE, and we would keep our clothes in those. Well, she pulls out this wire bin. It's filled with wet bathing suits. And she said with this real perky voice, we have a rental suit program. And I was like, oh no, you didn't. That is just nasty. (laughs) But then do y'all have voices in your head? I always have this like in my dashboard, I've got the girl who tells me GPS and I have this voice in my head and this voice in my head said, you know, you hardly ever get to this part of the country and they are definitely not inviting you back for their conference because they didn't (laughs) like you. And I thought this could be my only opportunity to experience these amazing hot springs. And so before I could stop myself, I'm fishing around for a bathing suit and I pull out this huge black number, obviously woven by the Amish. I mean, it's very, very modest. So I pull it out and I was like, cool, this'll pretty much cover everything. And then I noticed when I put it on in the locker room that it had, and gentlemen, forgive me, you can just like, watch the heat for a minute on your iPhone. I'll be through in about 30 seconds. But, but I noticed it had this very severe bodice. And guys, the bodice is the part up here. And it was like woven out of some kind of metal mesh or something, just super, super stiff. And I thought, well, that's probably a blessing because it'll keep kind of everything more or less in the place God originally designed it. And so I thought this is probably good. And so I put on the bathing suit. Again, I could have gotten 10 girls last night we saw and all their bathing suits put together wouldn't have been this one suit. It was a large suit. So I put on the suit and I'm like, cool, I'm covered. I go out, I get in the hot spring and it's like my friend described it. You know, it's hardly ever as good as they described it. This was even better. Somehow they had hewn this hole out of granite. It's probably, I don't know, nine feet wide, maybe four feet deep. And up out of the ground is coming this almost boiling, I thought that's cool, it'll cook out all the bacteria in the suit, is coming this thermodynamically heated water. And there's this just fog over the water because of the heat and it's cool where we are in the mountains. The sun has already gone behind the sand grease. I mean, y'all, it's just spectacular. You know how you see something here in South Florida, like maybe you're walking along the intercoastal or the beach and you see a dolphin and it's just you and the sun is setting or coming up and you go, this is just glorious. Like how anybody could think we came from pond scum. There's just no way. There has to be a divine creator. And that's what I'm thinking. And I'm just in that hot spring and I'm just like, this is amazing. 
And I'm in that spot, I can hear my soul settling. It's like, this is just like God Xanax, this is killer. And I'm in that place for, I don't know, 45 seconds. And then I hear a noise. And I realize, oh man, it's, it's more women in the women's locker room. I can tear, well, tell where the noise is coming from. And I assume these women in the women's locker room are from Brazil because I can tell they're speaking Portuguese. I can't speak it, but I can hear it. And sure enough, maybe a minute later, these three women from Brazil come out of the locker room and they are gorgeous. And I don't know how to share the next part next in church, but they um, had not taken advantage of the rental <laughs> suit program. It was just a girl's area of the spa. And so I was, you know, in the hot tub in my Amish suit and I see these women and I was like, wow, that's a, that's a, a, a tremendous amount of Brazilian. And they came and they got in the hot spring, you know, which had seemed huge up until that point. Like up until that point, I mean, it seemed like a huge pool, but then they get in and evidently their jobs back in Brazil involve Cirque du Soleil because they start doing flips and twirls and, and I was just nervous, you know, I'm from Nashville, Tennessee, we're, we're modest. And, and I was like, <laughs> because you know, when somebody's close to you and you don't know them and there's a whole lot of them and you're afraid it's gonna get on you and it's just, it's awkward. It's very, very awkward. And so I was just pressed back into the wall, you know, this natural hot spring. The steps were on the other side and I thought, this is kind of like, you know, Moses and the rock and God, but not really because of the lack of bathing suits. I mean, it was just really, really sketchy there for a minute. And then one of these girls points to me and she says something in Portuguese and she just dies laughing. And then the other two start laughing. I was like, no, that's hateful. That is just hateful. We don't do that in the United States of America. And then the other two start pointing and laughing. I was like, y'all, that is so not cool to make fun of me. If you shoot me from the waist down, baby girl, I'm gonna punch you in the throat. Um, teasing, teasing, not, not a real punch, just a very gentle thump. Um, but I was like, Goodness gracious, y'all. And they could tell by my expression that I was a little, little wounded. And so the first one then goes, oh no, no. And then she says in real broken English, we no make fun of you. You, you much poke out. Um, at which point I looked down for the very first time and evidently whatever the bodice was made of, it was some kind of metal. It had reacted with the steam and it had formed these little conical points, just like, la, la. I mean, it is a wonder I didn't poke their eyes out, y'all. I was just, la, la, just sitting there, just, just as innocent as can be and just jutting out spectacularly. I, I watched um, Pastor Irwin last week and you know, he talked about the genius of Jesus. And I just thought it would be prudent for me to start this morning with the moronic of me. Um, I do not have it all together. I just all the time am stepping in it. I, I think perfection is overrated. And I wanna start there because sometimes I think when we think genius, we tend to think I have something to do with this. I loved his message. I loved his message. I loved the message the week before. I've been hanging out with y'all online for a while. I love Vu. 
but I found myself going, man, I just wanna speak to the people who go, you know what, genius is not anywhere near my wheelhouse. Most days, I feel like I don't have it all together. Most days, I wonder how a holy God like that could in any way use a broken man, a prone to wander woman like me. If you brought your Bibles, turn to Genesis. Pastor McManus talked about this last week, so I actually wanna start here and then build on what he preached on. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, a guy named the Bishop of Lions, Irenaeus, I have crushes on all the old dead guys. He's one of the ancient church fathers. Irenaeus in the second century started preaching on this passage and he uh, came up with a concept in Latin called Imago Dei. Imago in Latin is the image of Dei is God. And he said, based on that passage, we can rest in the fact that every single one of us, regardless of gender, ethnicity, socioeconomic background, every single human being was breathed in the image of God. Erwin talked about that. He said, that's where our genius is. We actually bear God's thumbprint. That means every single human, regardless of age, gender, ethnicity, all of us are inherently valuable. All of us are precious. All of us are inherently divine because we are Imago Dei. We're made in God's image. But because of the fall, all of us are also a hot mess. And so I want you to head to Mark. Mark is the second gospel listed in your Bible. But if you study scripture, you'll find that the gospel according to Mark was actually the first gospel. Gospel comes from the Greek word euangelion, means the good news. And Mark was actually the first gospel ever created. Matthew was the second or the third gospel. They just listed it. Sorry, I've got a hair in my mouth. I'm teasing. (laughs) Um, Mark was actually the first gospel that was put together and then written. Do y'all remember who wrote the gospel according to Mark? We've got four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all euangelions, all written written stories of the earthly life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Do y'all remember who wrote the gospel according to Mark? Y'all can talk back. I'm not your pastor. I want it to be super informal. Plus, I've seen y'all do mosh pits. This is the quietest y'all been in months. Oh, I love you. Okay, Mark wrote the gospel according to Mark. So he's the one sitting there with his iPad at Starbucks. But the narrative voice of Mark's gospel, because remember for it to be an eyewitness account of the earthly life and of Jesus Christ, it had to be somebody who was there with Jesus. So Mark is typing it, but Pete, Peter is the narrative voice which I love that because do you remember the tail end of Peter's story with Jesus? Do you remember Pete's the one who threw Jesus under the bus? Vehemently and vulgarly denied that he even knew the Christ. And then you remember a week and a half later after Jesus had raised from the dead and they interact again. Do y'all remember that? 
Do you remember Pete says, I'm going fishing because he just is totally discombobulated by the whole thing. He goes out on the lake and while he's out on the lake, do you remember the beginning of Pete's walk with Jesus? It's in Luke 5. Do you remember where he met Jesus? He was on the lake. Remember he had been fishing all night because he fished for tilapia. Um, We call it tilapia now. And in Israel, they call it St. Peter's fish. But they fished for tilapia at night. They would go out as the sun was setting and then they'd put oil lamps around the perimeter of these flat bottom boats. Now, I have spent a lot of time in Israel. If you ever get to go to the actual land Israel and somebody tells you this is the boat Jesus fished on, they're, they're playing you. So they, they, don't, they don't have those boats anymore, but they have replicas of the boats Jesus went out on, just flat bottom boats. They would take those boats in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. It's not really a sea, it's a freshwater lake. And they would go at, it's also called the Sea of Tiberias or Lake Galilee. They'd go out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. It's about nine miles long, about seven miles across. And they would light those oil lanterns and insects would gather around the lanterns. And then the tilapia would come up from the bottom of the sea to feed on those insects. And then they'd throw cast nets over the side, almost like you see shrimpers doing today. They'd throw cast nets and they'd get the tilapia. Well, remember in Luke 5, Pete has been fishing all night, doesn't catch anything. He's there on the shore. Jesus comes up. He knows who Jesus is because remember Andrew, his little brother had said, hey, Pete, I think this guy is the Christ. And Pete said, no, you got that off some Facebook forward. He's not the Christ. I mean, he's a good guy, decent rabbi, but that's, that's not the Christ. That's not the Messiah we've been praying about for centuries. So he knows who Jesus is. Jesus says, hey, Pete, can I borrow your boat? Because a bunch of people have gathered. We don't have an AV. If I get in your boat and back out on the water, the water will amplify my voice. People can hear me. And Pete's like, sure, you can borrow my boat. I mean, it wasn't good for anything last night. I haven't caught a single thing. Can't you picture Peter? I picture him in like stained khakis, an old Miami Heat shirt, you know, Bass Pro Shop hat, you know, Chaco's kind of trashed. I can so see Pete in my mind's eye. He gets in the boat, says, sure. He rows out just a couple of yards from shore. Jesus continues giving his devotional to people who are there on the beach. He finishes devotional. They all say, batak, not batak, but batak means amen in Hebrew. It means we agree. So they're all like, awesome, that was a great devotion. Pete's sitting in the back of the boat. He's got his feet propped up on the Yeti and he's thinking, this guy's pretty good. This guy's a pretty good preacher. I mean, he was talking. I wasn't tempted to play Candy Crush or anything. I mean, I was, I was really engaged with this guy. And when he prayed to Jehovah, he prayed as if he actually knows God. I mean, that, that, that's really cool. So he's thinking, this guy is really interesting. I'd probably go to church if this guy preached a lot. And then Jesus turns to Peter and makes it really personal. He goes, hey, Peter, can we go fish a little bit? He's like, no. I mean, dude, tilapia don't come up in the middle of the day. I mean, it has to be nighttime because we've got to get the lanterns and the insects come out, the fish come up. And I mean, they, they won't bite during the day. That's not how we fish. Jesus goes, no, I'd, I'd really love to fish. And he's like, all right, city boy. I mean, you must have been to seminary or to, you know, VU school or something. I mean, you know a little bit about Torah, but you obviously don't know anything about fishing. Tilapia won't come up from the bottom of the lake during the middle of the day. And Jesus says, let's try. 
So they go in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Y'all know the story. A lot of y'all were raised like I was. You've seen these stories flannel graft in some Baptist church somewhere. My mama was Baptist. My dad was Assembly of God, so I'm Baptocostal, heavy on the costal. I remember these stories from the time I was a kid. You know that in the middle of the day, when Pete threw the nets over the side of the boat, just knowing there's no way they're gonna catch anything, not even bait fish. Don't you worry about that baby. I was 50 years old when I brought Missy home from Haiti, so that sounds like a miracle to me. Anytime people give young moms dirty looks when they have babies in church, I'm like, I hope you get hives. That is just a miracle. Don't you worry about that baby. That is the sound of a miracle. So when the fish begin to catapult themselves into the net, that's when Peter throws himself onto the the deck of that boat and he says, don't look at me, Yeshua. Don't look at me. I, I am a sinner. I am a filthy man. I didn't recognize you. Andrew told me you were the Christ and I didn't believe. Don't look at me. And Jesus says, oh, Pete, get up. I'm not mad at you. I just want you to change your Facebook status. You're gonna go from being a fisherman to a fisher of men. That's the very first time that Pete meets Jesus. Then he spends three years with Jesus. He sees everything. He sees the miracles. He sees Lazarus come out of the tomb. He sees Jesus walk on water, tries to walk on water himself. We always diss him for that, but I'm like, he got out of the boat. Three years is one of the three closest to Jesus, Peter, James, and John. So they get to the very end of Jesus' earthly ministry just prior to the cross. That's when Pete says, Jesus, don't wash my feet. Do you remember that at the Last Supper? Gosh, I just stop and think about the context of that, y'all. Jesus, King Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, Emmanuel, the Alpha, the Omega, King Jesus. Drives me crazy, all these people who are, who are saying that they're deconstructing Scripture now. And to just focus on the New Testament, that's the only place Jesus spoke. I'm like, you precious, precious moron. Jesus didn't just speak in the New Testament. He's been there since the very beginning. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Imago Dei. Holy Spirit didn't just have a debutante party in Acts 2. He's been there since the very beginning. Jesus, the Son of God, condescended from the throne of God and He wraps a towel around His waist and He gets down on His knees and He washes their filthy feet, knowing Judas is gonna betray Him. The kindness of God, if you really look at it in context, it's, it's stunning. Stunning. Pete says, Jesus, don't wash my feet. That was the job description of a slave in the first century. That was what slaves did when you came into the house. They're the ones that got down. They didn't have shoes back then, rarely wore shoes or just sandals. It was sand roads. So the first thing they did, if you walked into somebody's house, if they had a decent house, let's just say they live on South Beach, a couple of blocks off. They had somebody at the front door with a basin of water. And as soon as you walked in their home, you sat down on a bench in the entryway and their slave washed your feet. Jesus, Son of God, 
the Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, gets down on his knees. Pete says, don't just wash my feet. If you're gonna wash my feet, wash all of me. Wash all of me. He says, I will never betray you. Jesus says, oh, Pete, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're gonna betray me three times. Three times you're gonna betray me. And y'all remember the story. He does it with an expletive, just so the crowd will be convinced that he didn't have anything to do with the Son of God. They're like anybody with a potty mouth like that. There's no way he hung out with the Prince of Peace. A week and a half later, he's discombobulated. He goes fishing. I love that he's such a dude. Don't you love that? He's not pondering somebody in a coffee shop. He's like, I'm just going out to fish. I bet he wore Wranglers. Like, no, no skinny jeans for Pete. He goes out on the lake. He's in the middle of the lake. The sun has come up and there's a stranger on shore. And he says, have you caught any fish? And Pete says, no, we didn't get anything last night. And the stranger calls out, throw your nets to the right side of the boat. You see the deja vu there? Pete throws out the net, fish begin to catapult themselves in the net. Remember the context, y'all. The last time he saw his savior, he was cussing, saying, I don't know the man. Now here he is a week and a half later and he knows it's Jesus. Wouldn't it have made sense for him to dive in the bow of the boat and hide and clean himself up, maybe get a couple of Igthus tats so he could prove his devotion? or jump out of the other side of the boat and swim to some 12-step event and get it all together before he appears back to the Christ. It's just a week and a half after his betrayal, but he doesn't. He does a Michael Phelps straight toward Jesus. It's to the feet of Jesus, and they have this conversation. It's an incredible conversation. Simon Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Simon Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed sheep. Simon Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. It says Simon was hurt that he asked him the question at the same time. Why have y'all heard Jesus ask Pete that question three times in a row? Don't talk back. Why have you heard that? Because he denied him three times. So it's kind of biblical quid pro quo, right? Y'all, it's so much better than that. Let me say this to you, and I hope I say this in a way that you can hear me. I'm older than most of y'all. I wish somebody had said this to me in a way that I had gotten it when I was your age, when I still had tight skin and a high metabolism. Walking with Jesus gets better. Just gets better. It's better and better and better and better. He's such a good God. He's such a kind God. He's such a compassionate God. It just gets better. And his word gets better. Some of y'all have been taught that this is a book of rules. It's not. It's not a rule book. It's not a collection of morality tales. This is a love story. It gets better and better and better. The conversation is better than biblical quid pro quo. First time, Jesus asked Peter a week and a half after his betrayal, Simon, Peter, do you agapeo me? Three words in the Greek, 
Our New Testaments were originally written in Greek, a little bit of Aramaic. Simon Peter, do you agapeo me? Do you love me more than anything? Yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. I love you like a brother. I love you like somebody who's a Instagram buddy. I love you kind of, but not sacrificially. Second time, Simon Peter, son of John, do you agapeo me? Do you love me sacrificially? Jesus, you know me. You know I just threw you under the bus. You know I betrayed you. You know I don't have it all together. You know the only genius in me is you. My capacity is not much, Jesus. I fumbled the ball in the first yard line. Third time, Simon Peter, do you phileo me? How kind, how kind, how kind, how kind of our God. It wasn't about Pete's capacity. It was about the compassion of the Christ. He lowered the love bar. So you've got Mark. We don't have time to go into his story, but Mark 14, 52 says there was one outside the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where Peter's betrayal happens. And it says he gets so thrown by the Roman soldiers and by all the brouhaha. He's so afraid, this guy outside the Garden of Gethsemane, that he's gonna get busted, that he drops his cloak. Remember back then they didn't have Haynes his way. So that's a little stunning. He drops his cloak and runs away. That's Mark. He used to be called John Mark. You know, we do that in the South. He's John Mark. And then he grows up and goes, just call me Mark. So John Mark, as a young man, he dropped his cloak. He didn't just betray the Christ. He betrayed him buck naked. And then you've got Peter. And we know how Peter betrayed him. And when God, our sovereign creator, redeemer says, who am I gonna choose to write the very first euangelion, the very first collection of the earthly life and ministry of Jesus Christ, this story, this great news story, will tell to the world, who am I gonna choose? I'm gonna choose people who have it all together. I'm gonna choose people who have lots of letters behind their name. I'm gonna choose guys who know Latin, Greek, Hebrew. I'm gonna choose guys who have never struggled. I'm gonna choose the best, kind of the theological Olympians. No. He says, I'm gonna choose two boneheads who have absolutely blown it because I wanna make it clear to the world that no matter how many mistakes you make, you cannot catapult yourself outside of the realm of my compassion. I use the weak, I use the foolish. Y'all, it's not about our capacity, it's about his compassion. I'm not trying to say sin is no big deal. Sin is a huge deal. If sin wasn't a big deal, Jesus could have just done detention. He wouldn't have had to go to the cross. Sin is a massive deal. Sin separates us from God, but goodness gracious, his redemption is so much better. So Mark and Pete have written this very first gospel. It's listed as the second one, but it was written first. And let me share with you the first healing story in their gospel account, because you'll start picking up on the compassion. They just weave compassion into the gospel according to Mark. And I believe it's because they never forgot how much they needed it. If you ever forget how much you yourself are desperate for the grace of Jesus Christ, you will never be effective as a witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've got to always remember, I need it. If it was only me, I still need the cross. If there was just me, I still need the grace of Jesus Christ. Mark chapter one, verse 30. And a letter, leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. So there's a leper outside the city. Jesus is coming inside the city. He says, if you wanted to, 
you could heal me. Moved with pity, verse 41, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Short little story, so much compassion in this story. Leprosy is the oldest recorded disease in biblical history. And you've probably heard a lot of people preach about leprosy. I know Pastor Rich and DC have. Leprosy is a disease of, it's actually the nervous system, but it emanates from the outside. So one of the first characteristics of leprosy is people begin to lose their connective tissue. So your noses begin to deteriorate. You lose your ears, you lose your lips. Your skin begins to um, slough off your mouth. Any orifice emits a terrible stench because of the rot going on inside your body. Your hair is bleached white. So because leprosy is even more contagious than the coronavirus, lepers, according to Mosaic law, are segregated from well society. Anywhere a leper went during the time of Christ, it was incumbent upon them legally to cry out, unclean, unclean. More than even wearing a mask, they had to let people know, I have leprosy, do not get close to me or you'll probably get leprosy as well. Then just in case somebody was hard of hearing, it was legally incumbent upon them to dress in rags and they were not allowed to tend to their hair. So they had unintentional dreads. So you've got a dude in dreads, he's filthy, he stinks, he's hideous, he's outside the city. So he's ceremonially ostracized. He's physically ostracized. No one can touch him. If you touch a leper, then you too are rendered ceremonially unclean and you're ostracized from culture until you go through all this rigmarole by a high priest. So it's a big deal. This guy's outside the city. He's begging for alms. He has no other way to buy food. He has no other way to... to, to survive. He sees Jesus coming into the city. He recognizes Jesus. He calls him Lord. Anytime you see the word Lord, capital L Lord in the New Testament, it means Adonai, it means the Christ. So this leper doesn't just see Jesus coming in the city and go, oh, that's that rabbi. Oh, I heard that's the guy that when he preaches, you'll put down your phone. He's supposed to be really, really incredible. I watched him on YouTube. I mean, he's really, that's not his response. He sees Jesus and he goes, that right there this is the son of God. That's the Messiah that we've been praying for for centuries. That is the Christ, Lord. If you wanted to, if you wanted to, you could heal me. And it says, moved with pity. What does it say in y'all's translation? That's in the ESV. Some of y'all say in the NIV, um, Jesus was made indignant by the man's plight. A few of your translations say Jesus felt sorry for the man. Anybody have anything different? I think there's five different English translations. He had compassion for the guy. All of those English phrases, Jesus had compassion for him. Jesus felt sorry for him. Jesus was made indignant by his disease. All of those English Phrases come from one single word in the original text in the Greek, and it's splognizomai. If that sounds remotely familiar, it's where we get the word spleen from. It means from the guts of God. 
So Jesus sees this dude sitting outside the city gate because he's not allowed to be inside the city. He sees him with his skin sloughing off. He sees him minus a nose. He's horrifically disfigured. And it says Jesus was moved from his gut. So it wasn't a superficial kind of compassion. Compassion. It wasn't, oh, bummer, dude needs a good dermatologist. That wasn't the response of our Christ. Jesus sees this man from his guts. The word literally means bowels. So from the innermost part of himself, we tend to think of Jesus as either God in the Old Testament is kind of a unibrowed, angry God, and Jesus in the New Testament is kind of this uh, metrosexual with hair extensions, with a wan expression. Y'all, that is not who our creator redeemer is. He's not a segregate God or he would be bipolar. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit from the very beginning and now. And he's not mean in the Old Testament and kind in the New Testament. He always has been and always will be compassionate. We don't get the context of scripture because as my friend Chris Kane says, we spend more time on Facebook than we do in God's book. And so a lot of times we just get the essence of the stories instead of the depth of the stories. But if we'll take the time to dig into this divine love story, you see that every single time he's kind, Every single time he's about restoring our inherent dignity. Every single time he's mitigating evil. Every single time he's pointing us toward Jesus. Every single time he's always good. He's never not compassionate. I know that's a double negative, but it's true. He's always good. From his gut, he says, oh, I'm willing. And then what he does next is stunning. It says he holds the man. Now remember, the man is still horrifically disfigured, highly contagious. His skin is hanging off. He stinks. Jesus holds him while he still has leprosy. And then he heals the man. Do you see the compassion? Isn't that stunning? I mean, y'all, I'm just saying, if one of y'all walked in this morning and, and Rich had said, hey, y'all, Lisa's coming. She's loud. She wears stretchy pants, but she can heal leprosy. And one of y'all came in this morning and said, hey, Lisa, can you, can you help me out? I've got leprosy. I would go, absolutely. I would love to stay right there. Shazam. You know, wonder twin powers activate. And then after you were clean and shiny and you smelled nice, then I would hug you. Then we'd go hang and get some coffee. Not our Jesus. Not our Jesus. He's so kind. He's so good. He's so personal. He is a good God, y'all. We don't have the time to go there, but in Luke chapter seven, there's a, a woman and she's just lost her son. And it says that she's walking outside the city, real similar details to this story. She's leaving the city because a dead body, according to Jewish culture, is also considered unclean like a leper. She's walking outside the city because she's walking next to the funeral pyre that's carrying her dead son's body. She's already a widow. I mean, she's got nobody. She's walking outside the city. Jesus is walking in just like the story. And in Mark chapter one, but this is where the story changes. She just keeps walking next to her dead son's body, does not notice Jesus. Jesus is walking in, she's walking out. 
She doesn't ask him to help her. She doesn't pray. She doesn't cross-stitch a verse. She doesn't even come to Vu. She's just barely putting one foot in front of the other, which is how some of y'all have been living for the last year and a half. It's been a long year and a half, hasn't it? We've lost people we love. We've lost jobs. We've lost livelihoods. Some of y'all have lost your hope. She's walking outside the city, just barely putting one foot for the other, thinking they might as well put me in the ground with my boy. I've got nothing left to live for. I've got no hope. I could barely get out of bed this morning. And it says, but Jesus saw her. And he bridges the gap between him and this woman who's lost her hope, lost her son, has no other family. And he says, woman, sounds brusque until you know it's the exact same term he called his mama at the wedding in Cana where he performed his first miracle. It's a term of endearment. Woman, almost like honey. He says, don't cry. And it says, filled with compassion, exact same word as Mark 1, y'all, splognitzomai. She didn't earn it. She didn't ask for it. It wasn't about her capacity. It's about his character. He's a good God. He's always a good God. Whether you feel like you deserve it or you have absolutely no deservedness whatsoever, he is a good God. He said, don't cry. And then filled with compassion, he grabbed her son's cold hand and raised him from death back to life. The compassion of our Christ, it's not up to us. The holiest thing we can do this morning is to say, I can't make it by myself. I can't make it by myself. I need your compassion. We're gonna close this morning's service and I know I have not earned the right to do this, y'all. I know that. I know I'm a guest in, in this house, but I'm gonna be your auntie and I'm gonna be a little presumptuous. I wanna ask y'all to stand up as Vu family. I'm even gonna ask you to stand up if you're watching on YouTube. Don't stand up if you're driving, listening. If you are in a difficult place this morning and nobody in the room needs to know why, but if you feel like you're barely hanging on to hope, it's slipping through your fingers. Maybe it has something to do with your family. Maybe it has something to do with your job. Maybe you bought the ring and she's already walked away before you could say, will you marry me? You just feel like, you know what? <laughs> the people in this room, knew the kind of doubt and the kind of unbelief I was carrying in this morning. I'm not so sure I would be welcome because I feel like I'm at the very end of my rope. Maybe you know the theology, but in your heart, you feel like God is a million miles away. Y'all, that's the story of all the saints in Scripture at one time or another. All of the saints in Scripture at one time or another lost their spiritual groove. They didn't get it right every single day. There are days that they said, I am on the floor Jesus, I need you to peel my heart up off the pavement. Remind me that it's not about my capacity. It's about your character. It's about your kindness. It's about your compassion. If you are in a difficult season, I just want you to sit down wherever you are. Just sit down. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your honesty. Just sit down. 
you're running low on hope, just sit down. You know the theology, but you feel like your prayers are hitting the ceiling. Those of you who are standing around these saints, these beautiful, brave saints, I want you to scoot around them and lay your hands on them. If you're coughing, don't lay your hands on them, just get close to them. I want you to lay your hands on them. Worship team is gonna worship, but right before we go into this last song, I want you to pray. I heard about five times before we started this morning that this is family. And you may have just come into this family for the first time today. Maybe you thought you're coming to an essential oils convention and so you've been discombobulated the whole morning, but you are officially a first cousin if this is your first visit. You are in this family. This is family. We don't play at VU. This is about running hard toward Jesus. This is about recognizing these are my brothers, these are my sisters, and today I get to grab the corner of their mat, carry them to the roof, and lower them to Jesus where I know, where I know He's waiting for them. That's where we can stand secure. He is always waiting for us with more compassion than we need. I want y'all to pray out loud for each other and worship is gonna carry us to the throne of Jesus. But right now, take about 30 seconds to pray for each other. Pray that God will quicken their hope. Pray that the God of all compassion, they will recognize His nearness. Psalm 34 says, He is close to the brokenhearted. He is close to us when our lives feel crushed. Pray for each other. Pray the name of Jesus. His name is powerful. His name is sufficient. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus be in this place. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with friends. It helps so much. For more content from VU and to connect with us, go to vuchurch.com. We love you. The best is yet to come.